father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious. The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Cycle Podcast, where you waste time on fictional wikis. My name is Ryan. And my name's Joanna. Hey, Ryan. What up? Did you know that Game of Thrones totally copied Lord of the Rings? Wait, but that was the first show to ever have a dragon in it. They totally copied it because, 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 get this. Okay. Boromir in Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Looks exactly like Ned Stark. In Game of Thrones. Oh my god. Head to toe, they copied it. Like, Boromir equals Ned Stark. Oh my god. Ned Stark is just old Boromir. Just older Boromir. Older, deader, well, even deader than Boromir. Double dead. Whoa. No. um, That was the only Lord of the Rings news I could find, was like, ten ways that Game of Thrones totally ripped off Lord of the Rings, and they just had like, a picture of Sean Bean as Boromir next to a picture of Sean Bean as Ned Stark. I was like, you're right. They totally ripped them off. They had the same actor in it. Same actor. What a ripoff. Total ripoff. You know. Total stinking ripoff. A man uses a sword to fight another guy with a sword. Oh my god. You must be kidding me. So freaking unoriginal. Game of Thrones is so derivative. Like, you know how, like, people die in large military battles in Lord of the Rings? And they do the same thing in Game of Thrones. Um, can we stop going back to that well? Problematic AF. Problematic AF. My problematic fave. What do you have for Star Wars news? Uh, not much. Just that this week, and I think, is E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo. I do so hope that they give out free deodorant again. They might, because it's a public event now. Uh, oh, really? I thought anybody could go to E3. Only in the last few years. It used to be just a purely press event, and you had to I get bet it's, but I But I bet in, in the last few years that it's gotten really smelly. That's why it stanks now. Yeah. fans are stank. They If you've never smell. been to a convention... People smell. Because these are people who, like, normally do not leave the house, and so they never have the opportunity to realize that they smell to other people. And then they come to these conventions after, you know, sitting at home for, like, months and months on end and not going out, and that's like, oh my god, they stink, and, but they don't know it. And it's like, my dude, if you can afford tickets to these cons, you can afford a dang bar of deodorant. Like, it's ugh, it's so fun, because cause there's, there's no world. Well, okay, there might be, like, some society where this is acceptable, but in the United States, there's absolutely no setting where it's, like, socially acceptable to tell somebody that they smell bad. There's no way. And so you just have to bear it. You just have to, like, put up with it, because it's so socially unacceptable to be like, you stank, my dude. And so, like, you just get angrier and angrier and angrier, and you just want to be like, take a shower! But you can't say take a shower, because that's rude, but so you just have to stew in it and just get angrier and angrier. This is great Star Wars news, by the way. Yeah, that- (laughs) Star Wars news. Um, Star Wars fans smell bad? No, the news is that they're going to talk about the new game, Jedi Fallen Order, which is the new EA single-player sort of open-world RPG, something, 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 We play as a Jedi. Cool. And you can play it at E3. Oh, okay, that's cool. I know literally nothing else about it. Is it like Breath of the Wild, Star Wars? That would be maybe the best game of all time. Is it like Second Life Star Wars? Let's Everybody's see. shaped like a Dorito and there's so many weird sex things. Uh, you know, it could be with microtransactions. Okay, let's see. 
Uh, it takes place after Order 66. You got a Jedi. Oh, so everybody's dead. Well, it takes place when everybody is dead. There's yeah. no characters to play as because they all die. Your character is a dead man whose name is Cameron Monaghan, who's actually a Jedi Padawan turned fugitive who managed to escape Order 66. And you just watch his corpse slowly rot. The movement looks to have a classic feel, and additions of wall running and force flip are a welcome sight. I don't know. Force flip? Like flipping with the force, baby. Flip force flipping burgers because now the Jedi Order's destroyed and you can't get any oh, other job. If you're at E3 this weekend. Put on some deodorant. Put on, first of all, put on deodorant. Second of all, play the new Star War and let me know if it's good. Okay. Yeah. Write in. Tell us if it's good. Also, write in and tell us if you smell bad. Yeah, so we'll tell you. We'll and if you do smell bad, we will give you advice for how to not smell bad, which is take a shower. We'll, we'll email you a bar of deodorant and you can slap it all over your face. A bar of deodorant. Yeah. Well, so you don't come in bars. What do you think you put on your sticks. arm? Sticks. They're called sticks. I would. Okay. This is my hot rant of the week here. Okay. Why are they called deodorant sticks? When I want to see a stick, I go outside and look at a freaking tree. Excuse me, I'm rubbing a bar of deodorant under my arms. Case closed. You know where I go where, where, when I want to see a stick? Where? The, the men's locker room when there are old dudes in there. Because they don't wear towels. And they also bring in bushes from outside <laughs> on accident. <laughs> they cover, yeah, always dragging behind them. They get caught on their shoes. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, I dragged, I dragged a branch. bush in. I'm always doing this. Bringing all these sticks into the locker room. Oh, jeez, brambles, ahoy. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, what's up? Okay, so you read part of Lord of the Rings, right? Like I've, huh. I've read the, F- the Hobbit. I've read The Fellowship of a Ring. I've read about two-thirds of The Two Towers. You gave up two-thirds the way through? You got literally like most of the way through the book. I was in high school, and I had video games to play. Okay, so is it safe to say that if I were to ask you what from the books got left on the cutting room floor when Peter Jackson made his movies, you wouldn't? have a clear idea because it's been a long time since you read the books tom bombadil tom bombadil we've talked about that many times of course you know tom bombadil did not make the cut tom bombadil never makes the cut the barrow downs the barrow whites barrow whites meeting a dang elf in the forest okay good you remember that part as we go through this we are going to mention most of the things that peter jackson cut out most of the major things and also i'll make special note when it's something the fans got really really mad about okay and you can decide for yourself which one you are maddest about. Okay, now, quick question here. Yes. Are, are any of these things that you, as a fan, seeing the movies, were all steamed up about? No. If, if the movie turns out good, and I think it's a good adaptation, and it captured the spirit of it, and it captured all the character beats that I love, and like... So what you're saying is, you're a cool fan. No, I'm not saying I'm a cool fan, I'm just saying What like, you're saying is, you're a cool fan. I'm a cool fan. You're like a fan that's set on the cool setting. I... It's blowing that cold air all over the place. I tend like, to I understand care, that, like, when you adapt things, they need to be changed. I mean, that's yeah. not to say that, like, every adaptation, I'm like, oh, they did a, you know, they did a, there are some shitty adaptations where they cut things out and it's to the detriment of the story and it completely, like, destroys or alters the theme irrevocably. But I don't think Lord of the Rings did that. Okay. But let's go through some of the stuff that got cut out. Okay, so this is Lord of the Rings cutting room floor. Oh, is that what we're calling it? Yeah, that's what we're calling Well, that's what I'm calling it. I don't know what you're calling it. Cutting room floor. All right, first of all- Picking up the scraps all over the dirty freaking ground. Look at this amazing twink. Oh, he's beautiful. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't that like the most beautiful twink you've ever seen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he's got- 
elf yeah, describe ears. Him. He's got blonde hair. He's got this kind of come hither gaze. But he's not really looking directly at me. He's kind of looking directly to the left of me. And I'm kind of feeling a little bit left out that I'm not being looked at by him. Yeah. He's wearing a cool sort of like vest with a collar on it. He's in the middle of a moonlit wood. He really looks like he mist. could be sitting next to you and looking down at you as you're like sleeping or something. Like he likes to but watch again, you he's, sleep. He's not watching me sleep. He's watching the person to the left of me sleep. I'm getting kind of jealous of this person left you're to like, me. You're like, look at me. Please, hey, twink, please, look please, at me. Turn look your twinky eyes on me. So this is somebody that you briefly alluded to. This yeah. is Gildor and Glorian. When you mentioned that they uh, had a sleepover with elves in the woods, yeah. this was the main elf that they had a sleepover with. So Gildor and Glorian was a Noldor elf met by Frodo Baggins on the edge of the Shire at the beginning of his venture out of his homeland. Yeah. They give us the date here, just in case you want to know. Now, now so on, dis- on September 24th, 3018, Gildor and a company of elves were passing through the Shire, singing as they walked, and without realizing it, they scared the shit out of a Nazgul who ran away. So, oh. which is good because that Nazgul was, was trying to like sneak up, like creep up on Frodo. So, Gildor invited Frodo along with Sam and Pippin to spend the night in the elves' company, and he gave them this dreamy look the entire time. Gildor ultimately advises Frodo to leave immediately and take his friends with him and flee from the Nazgul. And then he also promises to send word to the elves to be on the lookout for Frodo and help him on his journey. And he's true to his word. Not only does he inform the elves, but he also informs Aragorn, and he also informs Tom Bombadil. Now, once you meet Tom Bombadil, it's probably like, thanks a lot, Gildor. (laughs) Thanks for telling this guy to meet up with us. Uh, Word also reached Rivendell, and that is what caused Glorfindel to ride out and find Aragorn and the Hobbits. Now, who's Glorfindel? We're going to talk about him next. Glorfy, baby. Glorfy. Glorf- now, this, this, there's, there's a mind blowing component to this Glorfindel. I, I, we'll get there in a second. I'm just like very excited because I learned something that I either never knew or forgot about Glorfindel. So, okay. Glorfindel was one of the most mighty of the elves, and he used to be Lord of the House of the Golden Flower in Gondolin. Why is he no longer Lord of the House of the Golden Flower in Gondolin? Any guess? He had a financial scandal where he was embezzling funds. He was buying, like, just a lot of sub prime tranches. No, it's actually because Gondolin no longer exists. Oh, that As makes you sense. would know if you paid attention to anything hey, I said. Listen, I didn't I don't just know that. I lived it. Now, uh, before I show you a picture, uh, you lived in Gondolin? Didn't I do that with with uh, Oh, you did with Rachel. See, so you know. Yeah. Now, I'm going to read you a description of Glorfindel and then I'll show you the picture and you Glorfie, see if it matches baby. up. Right? Here's Glorfie's description. He was tall and straight. His hair was of shining gold, his face fair and young and fearless and full of joy. His eyes were bright and clean and his voice like music. On his brow sat wisdom and in his hand was strength. That's beautiful. Swoony as per usual. So there he is. Glorfy, baby. Describe what you're seeing. Uh, he's another very smoldering, handsome elf. He's wearing a suit of elven armor. He's carrying a sword. He's got kind of this this nice, soft glow behind him. He stands in front of a river, uh, in front of some some scenic mountains. And he's, again, just kind of smoldering. This time to the guy kind of to my right. And so I'm thinking that these guys don't like me. Well, what I'm seeing is that his eyes are bright and clean. His voice is like music. His brow is set wisdom and his hand is strength. And case, you are seeing all that from this picture. Well, in his hand is actually a sword. So that's kind of what that I That is strength. That. Chin, I'd I say like rather than a twink, he's more of an otter. So in the first age, after the exile of the Noldor from Valinor, because mm-hmm. Feanor was dickhead, Glorfindel followed Turgon to Gondolin. 
So remember that secret city that Morgoth's agents weren't supposed to be able to find, and then they did. And he was appointed Lord of the House of the Golden Flower and one of the captains of the king. When Aradel, do you remember Aradel? Mm-hmm. Um, Turgon's daughter who wanted to see the world and ended up shacking up with the dark elf El- Aeol. Oh, I remember Aeol, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he inadvertently killed her because he chucked a poison arrow at their son and Aradel jumped in front of it. <sighs> yeah. Remember that, that whole story? First, and the then Maeglin, yeah. the kid, Maeglin, was a total creep who yeah. was, like, crushing on his cousin yeah. and basically, yeah. like, that led to the fall of Gondolin. This is all anyway, coming back to me, yes. Yeah. So it all kind of leads back to Aradel. Uh, when Aradel wished to depart Gondolin in search of the sons of Feanor, Turgon appointed Glorfindel, another guy called Echthelion, and another guy called Egelmoth to be her escorts. Egelmoth. They did a very shitty job. They lost Aradel near Nan Dongorthib, and they returned to Gondolin without her. So, arguably, Glorfindel is partially responsible for Aradel's death and also the fall of Gondolin, but... What are you going to do? Who's counting? What are you going to do? Okay. Hey, guess what? Poe Buddy's nerfect. Poe Buddy's nerfect? <laughs> Along with King Turgon, Glorfindel fought in the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Also, during the fall of Gondolin, Glorfindel made a meme for himself by killing a Balrog. So he pierced the Balrog's belly and it fell backwards towards the cliff, but it grabbed Glorfindel by his bishy hair. Oh no. And both of them fell into a deep abyss. Now, I can't believe Peter Jackson cut all of this out of the Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> well, I'm crazy. getting to it. Oh. I'm getting to it. You need some background before we can get to the part that Peter Jackson cut out. Okay, this okay. is Silmarillion stuff. I know. All right. Um, so Glorfindel's body was later found and borne up by Thorondor, Lord of Eagles, and he returned it to Glorfindel's people, and Glorfindel's people buried him high in the cliffs of the mountains that surrounded Gondolin, and it was said that yellow flowers grew on his mound despite its rocky location. Because he was Lord of the Golden Flower. All right, so that's in the first age. Now, in the second age, Glorfindel spent the second age being dead. So his spirit... So how much to talk about here? Well, his spirit departed to the halls of Mandos, where he spent years with the spirits of others who died. Now, This is where I discovered something new or something that I had forgotten about Glorfindel. When we've mentioned the name Glorfindel before, I've told you that there were two of them. The one who fought the Balrog and the one who rescued Frodo after he got stabbed by a Nazgul. You're very clearly, these are two different people. Just a a popular name. It... Well, and Tolkien does reuse names sometimes, like he just reused Ecthelion. Ecthelion was Boromir's grandpa, and he was also one of the shitty guards that lost Aradel. Yeah, yeah. But... In the case of Glorfindel, what I told you was incorrect. Actually, due to his noble actions, valor, and bravery that saved many elves during the fall of Gondolin, he was re-embodied after a short time. Whoa, really? So it's the same guy? Yes. Yeah, so in the year 1600 of the Second Age, after Glorfindel had been dead for many hundreds of years, Manwe sent him back to Middle-earth as an emissary of the Valar and granted him powers nearly as strong as that of the Maiar. What a reward. Wow. So the Glorfindel in Lord of the Rings is actually a reincarnated demigod, which I either never knew or completely forgot somehow. So does that happen often? No, this is like, I mean, there was that one time that um, Luthien sang like such a jam oh, that, that they let her and Baron go back to Middle-earth. Yes. Yeah. But no, this is, as far as I know, this is unique. She was not turned into a demigod. So Glorfie Baby is a... Glorfie Baby's like a demigod. He's like Hercules or something. Whoa, that's crazy. But he just like chills in Rivendell. But he also like rescues Frodo? Like that's... that's... Well, yes. So Third Age, a thousand years later, Glorfindel was sent by Lord Elrond to search for Frodo and his companions. So... Wait, wait, so Elrond's ordering around a demigod? 
Yes. I mean, that's, that's... And he's only half elven. The Cajones He's like half human, half mortal. Like, I know. The big old balls on Agent Smith. Like, unbelievable. So, you know in the movies when Arwen is first introduced and she puts Frodo on her horse and carries him toward Rivendell? And she makes a big river of horses. She crosses the river and the Nazgul gets swept away by like a tsunami of enchanted water, right? Horse water. So, it was actually Glorfindel who did all that. Now, that makes a little more sense because he's a demigod. And yes. And he's able to do that sort of thing. Well, actually, the river's like, he doesn't make the river do that. It's just enchanted by somebody else and it like always does that when someone evil tries to cross it they never said that well i mean when was their opportunity it's show I, don't tell now i thought it was arwen doing cool magic i mean in the movie yeah it is because she says like a spell but in the book that water's just enchanted well, it would have done that anyway i remember in you know, the book is like oh elves are magic they can yeah. make a river turn into horses i mean they did but like not directly at that moment it, they said it it was like on a delay so it's not like, like a rem- they set a trap okay so they, it was like a proximity Tsunami. Yes, a proximity tsunami, yes. Okay. Uh, so it was actually Glorfindel who did all that. They gave his role to Arwen in the movie, presumably to give women more screen time. Yeah. And I remember people being pissed about this. They didn't like Glorfie baby not being in it. They huh? were pissed. No. Just- like, for me, okay, this is going to get me crucified. I don't really care. Because Arwen is badly in need of some character development, and Glorfindel is really cool and all, but he's... Like, not super integral as a character. He participates in the Council of Elrond, but, like, he doesn't really show up again in the story. He's he's not, like, in the Fellowship or anybody's love interest or anybody who, like, fights alongside them again. So my opinion is that, like, it's fine. All right. So as Duane's about to be crucified, uh, I'm looking for a new co-host of yeah, the show. Yeah, so if feel free to email your rebuttals and death threats directly to if me. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan and when Duane's crucified, maybe you want to, like, you know, come host a show with me. Let me know. Okay. Uh, But anyway, that's what was left on the cutting room floor in the Fellowship of the Ring. Now, the major stuff. Now, in the two towers. So in the two towers, they chopped and screwed a lot. They cut a lot of it. They cut up up the third tower. (laughs) What third tower? It was called the three towers in the book, and they cut up the third one for the movie to make it easier. (laughs) Ryan. I couldn't believe it. Ryan, are you being silly right now? The the third tower is the Washington Monument. And they cut it out of the freaking movie. I can't believe they didn't have the Washington Monument. They just wanted to have the two in the title because they say it's the second movie. Remember they had put the big, like, they put Frodo putting a new peace sign on the movie poster, like the Ghostbusters 2 logo. And it was like... The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings 2. That would be cute as hell, actually. Sorry Anywho. sorry to, to interrupt with, with a bit. But, but okay. Let's continue. I'm going to say, so they chopped and screwed a lot of stuff. But in terms of, like, characters that they, they really, like, cut out or changed, I'm going to focus on Faramir because I think that's the one that fans got most pissed off about. Well, to be fair, Amir. Amir. <laughs> My name is not Amir. It would work better if my name was Amir, it would be but pretty it's good, not. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to read you a quote from Faramir from the book, and you tell me how he was changed for the movie based on this quote. So, sure. But fear no more. I would not take this thing if it lay by the highway. Not were Minas Tirith falling in ruin, and I alone could save her. So using the weapon of the Dark Lord for her good and my glory. No, I do not wish for such triumphs, Frodo, son of Drogo. So Faramir is saying, "I'm not a glory hound." I'm just a guy. He's saying, F the ring, y'all. F the ring, y'all. Yes. So in the book, he like does not give a shit about the ring. He's not interested. He says he wouldn't take it if it lay by the highway and it was his for the taking. Even to save Gondor. Like This is to contrast him with his brother. His brother was like, to anything show. to save Gondor. Faramir's like, I don't give a crap. I'm not using a tool of the enemy. Just save Gondor. So the stated reason in the 
commentary that I recall is that they think it's, they thought it would strip the ring of all its power if it had absolutely no effect on Fermi. It's supposed to have an effect on everyone, especially men who are very easily mm, corrupted. Yeah, yeah. So that was one reason. They just, I guess, fundamentally disagreed with Tolkien, which is somewhat blasphemous, I guess. But that's so that's weird. one reason. Um, I think the second reason was to more highlight the conflicts between Faramir and his father. So, one of the things they cut out of the two towers, I've talked about this before, but the scene with Boromir, Faramir, and Denethor, where Boromir has just retaken the city of Osgiliath, they're all celebrating, he and Faramir have like a cute moment, and then he defends Faramir to their father. This is a very good scene. Again, I say, if you have not watched this deleted scene, I think it's one of the best ones. So, in that scene... Denethor very, very sarcastically says to Faramir, a chance for Faramir, captain of the guard, to show his quality. And then later, when Faramir is looking at the ring around Frodo's neck and contemplating taking it, he repeats his father's words, a chance for Faramir, captain of the guard, to show his quality. So it's he's saying it like semi-bitterly and sarcastically, but also like thinking to himself, is this going to make daddy Sure, okay. Right? Is so this gonna, bit- am I going to be fulfilling my family obligations by taking this? Yeah, creating more of a uh, interesting family dynamic. But, but because but, 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 they don't have that deleted scene in the theatrical edition, you don't get that he's repeating his father. He just looks like he's being like a greedy a-hole, like, I want glory. Right. But it's not really like that. Okay. There's no denying that Faramir shows markedly more interest in the ring in the movies than he did in the book. He goes so far as to try and take Frodo and Sam to his father. Right. Takes him as far right. as Osgiliath, right? That does not happen in the book mm-hmm. at all. So that's the main thing people were mad about was the change in Faramir's character. Faramir in the movies bears very little resemblance to Faramir in the books. Alright, so that's all I'm really going to talk about for the two towers. Otherwise, it's exactly the same. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. But we're just going to leave it. Let's move on to Return of the King. Return of the King, there's just like a lot of little dudes that they cut out. Tell me about these dudes. I'm going to tell you about these dudes, okay? So the first uh, set of dudes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are called the Two Watchers. Do you know what the two watchers are? Have you ever heard of the two watchers? Again, I have not read The Return of the King. But you have seen the 1980 Rankin-Bass animated version of Return of the King. I did. I did watch that one, yeah. They are in that. That is, as far as I know, the only adaptation that they're in. I don't remember them, though. Can you remind me? Okay, so the two watchers were these two carved figures that guarded the gateway of the Tower of Kirith Ungol with a strange and malevolent will. So they were these statues that were inhabited by... Quote, some dreadful spirit of evil vigilance. Each was formed of three bodies, kind of like vultures. So one body was guarding the way into the tower, one was guarding the way out of the tower, and the third was staring across the gateway itself. Can you picture this? Mm, yeah, yeah, There's yeah. one on each side of the gateway. I get it, yeah, yeah. Their faces were the faces of vultures with eyes of black stone, and they had the power to block entry to the tower. They had, like, an invisible barrier. And, uh, or, or they wouldn't let you escape if you were already in. They trapped you in that triangle, baby. Yeah, so, like, force of their will alone, and they would send up a very shrill alarm call if their guard was breached. Like, Aah! Oh, okay, okay. Now, in The Return of the King, the 1980 Rankin-Bass film, which I will stand for all day long. It's a good one. It's a good one. It has great songs. Like, if you don't like it, then shut up. Get it's out of my face. cool animation done in yes. Japan. Yes, it does. It does. Early ja- Japanese animation, which if you're interested in that kind of stuff, it's like worth checking out for that a lot. My favorite anime is Return of the King. Now, <laughs> now, in the 1988 Return of the King, Samwise Gamgee encounters the Watchers while attempting to enter the tower to rescue Frodo Baggins. He sets off the alarm 
but then gets by the Watchers by using the file of Galadriel. When he and Frodo encounter them once again when trying to leave the tower, they put up more of a resistance to the file, but they give in when Frodo helps Sam use it. So they like kind of use it together, and then the Watchers are like, the power of two halflings is too much for us! I can't stand their powerful friendship! Yes! Now, the Watchers are shown in the Peter Jackson movies, but they're never explained or referenced or anything, and they don't sound an alarm. They're just like... These weird little guys that they show. Big old statues? Yeah. So I also don't entirely know how they were built or why they were semi-sentient. Like, did Sauron make these statues, forge these statues, and then somehow put evil spirits in them? What are those evil spirits? Where did they come from? Why are they just... I don't know. Let, let me squeeze on something. It's magic, baby. Right. It's just some weird Sauron thing. He's just yeah. like, um, you know, I'm just gonna make these weird little, these weird little dudes. Weird little guys. Seems like he needs a hobby. Yeah. Speaking of weird little guys, the mouth of Sauron. Oh, I know this guy. Yes. I love this guy. You love this guy. I know you love this guy. Even though Del Toro wasn't involved in the making of this movie, he was only involved in the early development of The Hobbit. Uh, I feel like this is like such a Del Toro-looking character. He'd be in the Pan's Labyrinth for certain. Yes. Now, the mouth of Sauron. This is also in a deleted scene. So if you're curious what it looks like, you can watch the extended edition. You should. It's good. The mouth of Sauron was the Dark Lord Sauron's servant and emissary at the end of the Third Age. He had the title Lieutenant of Barad since he was so strongly devoted to the Dark Lord. And he was one of the Black Numenorians. Um, so the Black Numenorians were high men from Numenor. It has nothing to do with their, their color of their skin or anything. They were under the shadow like the King's Men, cruel oppressors and overlords over the more primitive middlemen of Middle-earth. So they were colonizers. They were the colonizers. They didn't really live in Numenor. They went around Middle-earth colonizing everyone. And because they were colonizing the continent, they survived the downfall of Numenor. Okay. They didn't drown. Right. They because were the they were off just being nasty little colonizers. They're in the mainland, but they were yes. kind of were losing sight of their Numenorean heritage. Yes. Very like, yes, sort of. And just very like white men's burden. Right. Sort of yeah. Now, in um, The Return of the King, the Peter Jackson version, the mouth of Sauron does not appear, as we said, in the theatrical cut of the movie, but he does appear in the extended version, and he's played by an actor called Bruce Spence. Mm-hmm. His helmet has the words, La Men Gothar. Gothar? I never learned Cinderin. But anyway, it's Cinderin for Voice of Sauron the Abominable. Yeah. And it covers his entire face except his mouth. And his mouth is horribly diseased and disfigured by all the evil he has spoken. He's got these cool black gums and big old teeth. It's disproportionately large. His teeth are rotting out of his mouth. So originally, that wasn't in there. When they filmed him, like, they did makeup around his mouth, but it wasn't huge. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just, it looked, I guess, more recognizably like Bruce Spence. Um, but then after the fact, Jackson conceived the idea of giving him an overly large mouth and he had his special effects team create the effect digitally. So twisted. Now, the extended DVD cast commentary mentions that Jackson considered different depictions of the character. I want you to guess who he thought might play the character initially. You'll never in a million years guess, but guess anyway. Is that an actor with a big mouth? No. Hmm. Actor with a little mouth. Not particularly little, just a normal sized mouth. I think the man with the rubber face, Jim Carrey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody stop me! I like how when you think of medium sized mouths, you think of Jim Carrey. <laughs> and the man with the rubber face, he can make any expression in the world. He can just be like, you know, just talking about. The mouth of Sauron comes out and he's just like, P A R T. Why? Because I gotta. Sauron is smoking! He just comes out and he's like, starts dancing to like that Desi Arnaz yeah. song. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I shit you not, Ryan. It was Kate Winslet. Oh, a lady. Yes. He was going to have Kate Winslet. So he, um, initially envisioned the mouth of Sauron as being like a temptress. 
Well, she worked on him on uh, Heavenly, Heavenly Creatures. Creatures. Exactly. They so knew each other from Heavenly pals. Creatures. So it, he wanted to emphasize the temptations Aragorn oh. was facing. But then he decided, no, let's just go full horror with it. Let's make him a nasty boy. Let's make him a nasty boy. Anyway, like, it'd be a little bit weird to have, like, this temptress in Lord of the Rings, because Lord of the Rings is such a sexless right. story. Right, Okay, so here's a huge That's criticism wild, that fans had. Are you ready for this? In the movie, Aragorn decapitates the mouth of Sauron with his sword. It's cool as heck. Well, this sequence is often criticized by purists and outsiders alike because it's technically a war crime. Listen, like man. you, it's a war crime to execute messengers or heralds. It has been since like hey, time immemorial. I think the rules are kind of off when you're dealing with a guy like Sauron. But just like the mouth isn't gonna hurt them, like he's not a threat to them in and of himself. He just says hey. things that Aragorn thinks are, is annoying, and he kills him. Yes, he, he violated the Geneva con- Convention. In the book, the mouth specifically points out that as an ambassador, he's protected by the laws of war, and Gandalf acknowledges this. He's like, "Yeah, you're right. Like Geneva Conventions, we can't kill I have you." The book open right now. In, in the in the movie, yeah. <laughs> Gandalf always keeps a copy of the Geneva Conventions. As an interesting aside, there's no rule that says a dog can't go to war. Yeah. <laughs> Air Bud comes on, like, dribbling a <laughs> yeah. basketball, like, arf, arf! And he dunks on the mouth of Sauron. Yeah. He just, like, slam dunks it into the mouth of Sauron's mouth. mouth. Yeah, the basketball deflates. Another reason that Peter Jackson cut the scene is because he felt it lacked tension. Okay, so in the movie, they have the Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas story interspersed with the Frodo and Sam story. It goes back and forth. In the book, it doesn't do that. They're separate. So in the book, we don't know that Frodo is still alive. So when the mouth of Sauron comes out and claiming, like, your little friend's dead, the reader doesn't know for sure that that's a lie. There's Ah, tension. I see, I see, I see. But we know that it's a lie in the movie, so there's kind of no point. So that's why Peter Jackson cut it out. Next, we have Captain Baragond and Burgil. Baragond. So, Baragond. So these. Is um, that a Godzilla monster? I think it's Baragond, not oh, yeah, Baragond. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so these are two people that Pippin kind of hangs with when he is in Gondor. I will describe them for you. You will see that they do have kind of minor but important roles, but it's like very, very easily to, easy to give their roles to somebody else, which is probably why they're cut out. But mm-hmm. now Captain Baragond was the first captain of the White Company, uh, a guard of Faramir, Prince of Ithilien, and previously a guard of the Citadel of Minas Tirith. When Peregrine took came to the city in March 3019, Baragond and his son Burgil, his 10-year-old son Burgil, served as his guides in Minas Tirith. It's probably Burgil, actually, knowing Tolkien's pronunciation, but okay. whatever, I'm just going to say Burgil. During the Siege of Gondor, Baragond received news from Pippin that Denethor intended to kill both himself and the seemingly dead Faramir. So leaving his post, he fought the door guards of the place where Denethor had taken Faramir uh, until Gandalf could arrive and save Faramir. Important role. Easy to give to somebody else. Easy to trade off, yeah. Yes. Now, Burgil, this 10-year-old Burgil, so he was the older son of Baragond. He was 10 at the time of the War of the Ring, and he just kind of, like, hung out with Pippin. But Pippin's an adult man, right? Pippin is not quite an adult. He he is still not of age. He's 28. Of age is 33. Okay, but he's okay. still, like, kind of too old to be hanging out with this 10-year-old. But whatever. <laughs> yeah. I guess the 10-year-old's like, you're my size! We're gonna be friends! I only hang out with people that are my height! If you read the book, there's a considerable span where Pippin's just, like, hanging out with a 10-year-old. <laughs> um, so, Burgil at some point, is running errands for the healers of Minas Tirith, and he tells Gandalf where Pippin and, and the injured Mary are. Virgil is also the one who brought Ethelus leaves to Aragorn to use on Faramir. So again, like an important role, but one that you can easily cut out. Now, this one is wild. Okay. This one is really wild. I, and I remember this one pretty distinctly from the book. This is Gan Burigan. 
Have you, ever heard of, have you ever heard of Ganburigan? We've never talked about him. I'm actually surprised Gan we have Ganburigan. No. This is a lot wilder than I remembered when I, when I started looking it up. So Ganburigan was the chief of the Druidine living in the Druidan forest in the latter half of the Third Age. Okay, so who are the Druidine? Are they One like sec. Dunadine? Yeah, there is like a connection there. With there an is R a connection in it? there. Yeah, so that the Edain. Edain means um that you are an elf friend. Okay. Um, i.e. back in the first age you helped out the elves. So that's why they have like a similar sounding name. Now the Druidine were also known as Drugs, Drugu, Rogan, Wosis, and Wild Men of the Woods and Pukelmen. Pukelmen? So they were they were men. But they were a very strange race of men. They're pookly little guys. Yeah, so 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 let me tell you why they're strange. Okay. So they were a bit like dwarves in both stature and endurance. They were stumpy, they were clumsy-limbed with short, thick legs and fat, gnarled arms. They had broad chests, fat bellies, and heavy buttocks. So, but these are men. These are men. Uh, according to the elves and other men, they had, quote, unlovely faces, which, okay, like, that's from your perspective. From an elf's point whatever. of view, everything's going to be ugly, right? Yeah, because they're all, like, these beautiful twinks and otters. Their faces were wide, flat, and expressionless with deep-set black eyes that glowed red when angered. Whoa. So that's pretty freaky. They're a bit far from men here. I feel like this is a new species. They had, well, just wait for it. All right. They had, quote, horny brows. Like actual horns? I, I don't know what it means. Or they're just like doing the eyebrow all the time at ladies. Like, I, hey. I know. I, I, I suspect that's just another word that Tolkien used kind of inadvisably. It's another character played by Jim Carrey. Making this is another eyebrows. Jim Carrey, yes, because Jim Carrey, as we know, has a broad chest, fat belly, and heavy buttocks. I'm talking about the horny eyebrows. But. Oh, yeah. They also had flat noses, wide mouths, and sparse, lanky hair. People who didn't know them very well may have thought that Morgoth had captured some men, as he did with elves, and bred orcs from their stock. Mm. So this led to the conclusion that the Druidine could have possibly been men that escaped, but were more just, like, deformed and not very orc-like. So that's mm, one okay. theory for why they look the way they do, is because it is Morgoth's failed attempt to breed men and orcs. So evidence for this is that both the Druidine and the orcs considered each other renegades. So, so the orcs considered them renegades maybe because they disobeyed Morgoth and ran off and didn't become his pawns, even so though they were bred to. And they consider orcs renegades because orcs are just... Dicks, I guess. So. Also, they were known to have certain magical powers and to be still in meditation for long periods of time. So they also like these guys to are weird and they kind of they're they're weird. So hold on, let me show you a picture of Ganburigan. I know, isn't this amazing? I like, want to see these guys. What the heck? Why aren't they in the dang movie? They actually, I think they actually do appear oh, in man. the um, extended edition, but like they're not really explained. But anyway, here they are. Like this. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. What's this guy? Yeah, type in Ganburigan. Doesn't matter how you spell it, it'll just come up. And you'll find <laughs> some weird looking guys. So, Ganburigan specifically was a leader of these Druidine. And he was best known for giving aid to King Theoden's relief army of Rohirrim to aid the city of Minas Tirith during the Siege of Gondor. So, he guided them along a safe path through the secret pass of Stonewain Valley to avoid being attacked by orcs, and that allowed them to safely reach Minas Tirith with reinforcements before it was conquered by the enemy. In return, Theoden promises that his people will make peace with the Druidine, and that his people will battle and drive away the orcs that have been troubling the Druidine for years. So, he actually is a lot 
lot nicer and more progressive with the Druidine than his ancestors were with some of the other native peoples yeah. of Rohan, which we have discussed in the past. The last thing we're going to talk about is a very, very, very large and noticeable omission, and I'm talking about the scouring of the Shire. Oh, yeah. Slash the Battle of Bywater. All right, so Peter Jackson hates the scouring of the Shire, so he cut it out. I mean, like he straight up said, like, he does not like it. He doesn't know what purpose it serves in the book. He thinks it's anticlimactic. You can make an argument that it is. Um, but I'm going to give you a summary of the scouring of the Shire and the Battle of Bywater for all of you who have not read the book and don't know what I'm talking about. So, after the War of the Ring is over, Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin return home to the Shire. They come to the Brandywine Bridge, and it's barred at both ends late at night. And normally this bridge is not barred, like there's no guards there. They are taken in by the group of hobbits who are supposed to be guarding the bridge. After setting off for Hobbiton the next morning, the four hobbits are met by sheriffs. As you remember, that's like oh, their yeah. police force. Sheriffs at Frogmorton and placed under arrest for breaking a number of rules the night before, like staying with the group of hobbits who were supposed to be guarding the bridge. But the hobbits have ponies and ride away, and the sheriffs can't keep up with them on foot, so they decide they're not under arrest after all. Oh, okay. Now, reaching the village of Bywater, the hobbits are confronted by a group of ruffians. And I have to say, this article, the number of times they use the word ruffians is, like, comical. <laughs> they tried to preserve most of it. but So these ruffians insult Frodo, and Merry and Pippin draw their, shore, their swords and are like, what did you say about our friend? And remember, at this point, Merry and Pippin are, like, five feet tall. Well, they're also, like, like war veterans. And they're also war veterans who are, like, wearing armor, right? So they're five yeah. feet tall because they drank the ant drop. Um, draft. They're all, like, armored up. So the ruffians are like, holy shit, and they run away. These are hobbit, or hobbit, hobbit ruffians. Hobbit okay. ruffians. The hobbits decide to, quote, raise the shire. In in Hobbitit, they do this by blowing a very tiny French horn. Yeah. In the book, Sam recruits Tom Cotton and his sons who rouse the village of Bywater, and after some discussion, Pippin rides off to Tookland to rally his kin. The next morning, the hobbits learn that a much larger group of ruffians... <laughs> Is heading toward them. Fortunately, fortunately, Pippin returns in time with 100 Tooks at his back, and Merry and Pippin lead the Battle of Bywater, defeat all the ruffians, and uh, end the only battle in the Shire since the Battle of Greenfields. Now, the hobbits learn that the two chief of this ruffian-led government... King Ruffian. It's no. They assumed it was a Lotho Sackville Baggins. Remember, like Lilia uh, and Otho? They had some issues with and the Baggins. In yes, it. the Sackville Baggins. Lotho is their son, and he's just as nasty as his mom and dad. Yeah. So they assume, oh my god, it has to be Lotho Sackville Baggins. He's Oregon. a piece of shit. Yeah. So, but it's not him, actually. It's the wizard Saruman. <laughs> yes, Saruman, who is now going by the name Sharky. I thought he fell out of Wait, hang on. Sharky? Yes, he's going by the name Sharky. You thought he fell off the tower. That is in the movie. Sharky. Yes, Sharky. Sharky. He's going by the name Sharky. S-H-A-R-K-E-Y. Oh, I know how to spell it. Yeah, Sharky. Sharky. Um, That's what he's going by. Saruman would be too obvious. Sharky. Sharky. It's a cute name. Yeah. It's, for a shark to have. I mean, it's like the kind of name that you would have if you ran a ruffian-led government. Hey, you wouldn't like to meet our boss. His name is Sharky. It, it sounds like a guy who would go around like breaking kneecaps while trying to collect like hey, protection hey, money. Sharky, Sharky, sweet, sweetie, baby, come on, don't, don't, don't do this to me. Hey. <laughs> ah, Sharky! Ah! The boss don't like when he don't get paid what he's owed. Yeah, they say the boss, he can smell blood from a mile away and he never sleeps. 
<laughs> and 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 if you go in the ocean while you're menstruating, he'll eat you. He'll find you, and you got three rows of teeth, and they fall out constantly. Now, also his bones are all cottage. Sharky, the more you think about this next part, like the funnier it is. Sharky, aka Saruman, has taken up residence at Frodo's former home, Bag End, along with his servant Wormtongue. And if you think about oh, that's this, pretty funny because they're both big guys. It's really hilarious, yes, because they are <laughs> way, way too big to live in a hobbit hole. And like, just imagine Christopher Lee struggling to sit down at like a tiny breakfast table, yeah. and like him and Brad Dourif <laughs> trying to share a tiny four-post bed. And now, <laughs> like, are, are these guys just straight up looking like them? Do they have a disguise at all? Like, has he any glamour? Yeah, I think like he. Yeah, they 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 have disguises, but like it's pretty. The hobbits know. Okay, the yeah. hobbits know who they are. So, anywho, when the hobbits find the pair, they actually allow them. To leave the Shire unharmed initially. They're like, go, just go. You're annoying. Just get out of here. You let Saruman go? There's, well, there's been enough killing, He's Ryan. an absolute war criminal. Ryan, there's been enough killing. He created an army. Yeah, I know. Frodo does offer Wormtongue the opportunity to stay. He's like, abandon your evil master. We can tell, like, you're not a bad guy deep down. You're just kind of gross and goth. Like, yeah, stay here. Yeah, we'll put some good But music. then Saruman reveals to Frodo, you know, Wormtongue killed your cousin Lotho. Oh, is that true? Yes. Oh, okay. He killed Lotho Sackville Baggins. With with this revelation, Wormtongue gets so pissed off that he suddenly leaps forward and cuts Saruman's throat. Holy. Yeah. So that's how Saruman goes that's out. That's how Saruman goes out. He gets stabbed in the back by Wormtongue in the movie and like falls off the tower. But this is how he goes out in the book. Stabbed in the throat by Wormtongue. Yes. And then the hobbits kill Wormtongue in turn uh, by shooting him with arrows. A column of mist arises from Saruman's corpse and is blown away in the wind, which is supposed to be reminiscent of Sauron's demise. Frodo covers the suddenly shriveled skull of Saruman and turns away. Ooh. Yeah. Does he keep it in his house? I hope. I hope he does. It doesn't specify, like a, a it doesn't specify but I really, really hope it does. Yeah. He puts on like a spike yeah. outside. Or he hauls it out and so makes, it, makes like a, a pen holder. Like a, it's, like, it's like a heart of darkness yeah, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Here's um, all the wizards I've killed. Yeah, <laughs> the events of the scouring of the Shire don't occur in any film adaptation of the novel to date. It's not in the 1980 Rankin-Bass animated version. It's only alluded to in the 2000s Lord of the Rings film trilogy when Frodo like looks in Galadriel's mirror and he sees all the hobbits enslaved. Yeah. But the events of the scouring of the Shire are retold in the Finnish miniseries Hobbitit. We just love Hobbitit around here. Along with Tom Bombadil and the Ringwraiths and all that other good stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all in there, baby. Hobbitit. Hobbitit, the the most faithful adaptation to date. Beautiful. Despite the fact that Boromir is like a tattooed samurai man. (laughs) (laughs) So of all those changes, which one irks you the most? Which one really rustles your jimmies? If you could have one thing put back into the movies, besides things they actually filmed, like besides like Mouth of Sauron, what would you have wanted to see in, in film form? I guess the thing that I feel like actually made like a substantial thematic and like character difference would be like Faramir. Right. Okay. His character is very, very different. Like I'm not actively pissed off about it because like life's too short. Yeah. But boats are cool. But like <laughs> that is such a local show. <laughs> Nobody knows what Wilson Marina is. <laughs> Nobody knows life is short. Boats are cool. It's 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 a local Brighton boat dealer. You this guys. episode of the What's I Super's Precious brought to you by Wilson Marine. Life is short. Boats are cool. Sea <laughs> dudes now on sale. Oh, a thing I think is really cool is the Watchers. The watchers are cool. I just think they're really cool, so I kind of wish they were in there because they're cool, but I understand, like, why they're not essential. See, I'm surprised, because I thought Peter Jackson liked freaky monster things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he does have them in there, they just don't do anything, and they're not referenced. They don't even move, right? Like, they're... But anyway, so that's what I have. That's Cutting Room Floor. Cool. So what you got for me? Do you ever listen to Mark Maron's show, WTF? 
Mm-mm, I never have. I believe it stands for what the fudge. What the fudge? What the frell? What, what the frick is going on? <laughs> hey, what the frig, you guys? What the frick? No, he always has this question he asks people. He asks, he asks Obama. He asks like everyone he has in the show. And he goes, who are your guys? And they're like, my guys? And they're like, yeah, your guys. Who are your guys? And he means like your pals or people you think are cool or whatever. Yeah, like who's your crew? Yeah. So Joanna, can you ask me like Mark Marin? I don't know exactly how Mark Marin asked it, but I'll try and ask it how you just asked it. Okay. Who are you guys? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So I want to show you my guys. Joanna knows me. Been, I know him. We've been married for a little bit. I do know him in real life. That's yeah, a little known fact. We're real friends and married and all that. But she knows when I watch a movie, like a fantasy or sci-fi film, find my guys. So there's certain types of guys that Ryan tends to like. For example... He really likes guys like Greedo, where they're trying really hard to be cool, mm, and they're just mm-hmm, like abject mm-hmm. failures. He likes people who think they're a lot cooler than they actually are. He likes grifters. I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Sometimes it's not even, I don't even know that personality type. I just look at him and say, that's in my guy. That's one of my guys. So I come up with a working definition of, of guys. Okay. Let's, so, hear, let's hear what the definition of your guys so is. So definition of guys. Uh, they're a minor or supporting character that's like a cool alien or something. Oh, okay. Those you, are the standards, huh? You look at them and say, man, look at that guy. They're memorable and would probably make a good toy. Okay. That's my thought of what a guy is. What a guy is. is. Yeah. You guys. Now, are all of these guys toys? Uh, I believe they might be, actually. I mean, I, like like Star Wars, there's like literally a toy of Like, everybody. honestly, I'd be surprised if they weren't. Yeah. And so, this week we are talking about, you know, my guys or whatever, and I was like... I should do some guys that we haven't really talked about. Ones that don't have, can't fill a whole episode on their own. Yeah. But I find our our standouts. You just want to shine a spotlight on some neat guys. On my guys. Yeah. So I'm going to show you my guys. Okay. Want to see my see guys? guys? I want to see your guys. Okay. Show me your guys. So I'm going through the prequel guys this week. I'm pick- I picked my guy from each episode. Uh, episode one. Now, I've already talked about a lot of the weirdos in episode one, like Sebulba, the Pod Racers, uh, Foden Bead, Jar Jar. Yeah. Uh, I've talked about all those guys. Um, I've already decided that Watto's going to probably have his own episode because it's very long. Uh, all the weirdos in the Jedi Council probably deserve some attention. Definitely. But today I want to put the spotlight on one guy in particular, and that guy is Gragra. Gragra. So this is Gragra. Gragra. Whoa! Okay, do you it's remember? Cute. Do you remember Gragra? Nope, not at all. Okay. Now, if you don't know who we're talking about, Gragra was a Swokes Swokes Gorgmonger that worked in the marketplace Swokes, of Mos Espa. Gragra grew her food in the sewer zone but underneath Mos Espa. Oh, Gragra's a she. That's one thing you realize at first. This lovely lady, Gragra, yeah. is a lady. Gragra, the Swokes Swokes lady. Now, I'm going to explain her role in the movie in a little bit, but we have a few definitions to get along as well. Besides the definition of guys, which we've already defined, we have to define what a Swokes Swokes is. What's a Gorg and a Gorgmonger? Yeah. You've got to figure out what these things are, right? I think it'll help you understand Gragra a little better. Okay. So Gragra species is a Swokes Swokes. That's two words. S-W-O-K-E-S times two. Swokes Swokes? The Swokes Swokes were a sentient species native to the planet of Makamte. Large, stocky creatures. They had sharp, protruding teeth, perpetually grinning mouths, a series of horns crowning their pallid heads, one to three nostrils, and no hair. Some members of the species had long, heavy, spiked tails. Swoke Swokes had the ability to regenerate lost body parts, an ability that afforded them considerable bravado on the battlefield. Dang, dude, is any of that shown in the movie? Well, you see Gragra's face. <laughs> she definitely has a lot of teeth and some horns and a palate. You don't see her regenerate body parts. No. It's kind of a waste. Death was a prominent aspect of Swoke Swoke's culture. A landmark called the Tract was an enormous expanse of tombs and crypts on their homeworld that was visible from space. The Swokes Swokes viewed jewelry as a status symbol and often had gems implanted close to their vital organs. Yeah, Wait, so you like, couldn't you actually see them? 
Well, they could see them on the outside, but... Oh, so they would have them on the outside. I felt like they literally would just, like, insert them so that they were, you know, like like a little para-ovarian cyst, like, I mean, next to your organs inside. They could have done that, too. Most Swokes Swokes were religious zealots. Macamtay had... What? That's just throwing it in there. I don't she know. She doesn't look like a religious... I mean, like, I barely know her. You don't know... You don't know Gra-Gra. She like, She's like... She's like a really overly zealous uh, Jehovah's Witness yeah. or something. <laughs> Macamtay society had little advanced technology, so transport often relied on domesticated serpentine creatures called Shingas. Shingas? Okay. So these big, beautiful, pallid, regenerating religious zealots riding around in snakes. Boy, they really just, like, threw everything at the wall with this one. Yeah, Swokes Swokes got a lot going on, right? Yeah. Now... Like I said, Gragra is a Swokes Swokes Gorgmonger. So what's a Gorg? Yeah. I mean, a monger, presumably they sell it. Is it like a fish? So Gorgs, also known as Chubas in Hatis, were small amphibians. They were favored as food by many humanoid species, either dried, fricasseed, or roasted in manak leaves. In Hatis, hot Chubas were called Hatsachuba. Okay. <laughs> Hatsachuba! Hatsachuba! Mama mia, that's a spicy Hatsachuba! That's a Hatsachuba! Gorgmongers, like Gragra, would root a gorg pod in an amniotic-like fluid and feed it a variety of things, Ew. including funnel flowers, razor moss, or even raw sewage. Sorry, ew, where do they get the amniotic fluid? And where do they get the raw sewage? From the sewer. But where do they get amniotic fluid? From do the th- sewer. Who's <laughs> throwing amniotic fluid in the sewer? Soon the gorg would... That just makes fat burgers. That's what that does. Soon the gorg would lay eggs, which would then hatch into tadpoles after several days. The gorg monger would then separate these hatchlings from the adults, as adult gorgs would devour their young and raise them to maturity. Only then could the amphibian be sold in the bazaar or marketplace. So these are these frogs for sale. You yeah. You can eat. Uh, Jabba the Hutt eats them in Return of the Jedi out of a big pot. Yep. And Gragra is a gorgmonger, is one who raises gorgs and sells them. And it's said that she grew her food in a sewer underneath Mos Espa. Oh. Sewer frogs. Oh. So she's a, she's out in the streets hustling. She's selling sewer frogs out of her out of her cart. I can't be up to code. But in 32 BBY, Gragra demanded that a gungan named Jar Jar Binks pay the seven whoopee whoopee for a gorg he ate from, mar- from her market Swokes, stall. Swokes, whoopee whoopee Gragra. As he, in- as he inadvertently Boy ruined him. his meal by spitting oh, it out. looks well, he, he remember if you if you remember in the movie, he spits out the the gorg and it flies into Sebulba's soup, and Sebulba goes Chuba, and he gets all angry, and Gragra just kind of let let that fight happen. I have a scene of uh, of Gragra's big big scene in the movie. Uh, let me see. Let's see if I can open it up. Ah, moi moi. So, I saw you make a gasp the way I did. Did you hear what Gragra said? Dewanawanga. Dewanawanga, that classic Bib Fortuna phrase. That is, that is, isn't that something bad? No, it's just, it's a standard greeting in Hatice, but it's on the way you say it. And mm. Gragra seemed a bit angry that, uh, yeah. Jar Jar was trying- It's like try- a really angry hello. It's like, hello! Yeah, Wanga. Hello? Um, hello? hi? You're eating Can my- Can I help you? You're eating my gorgs without asking. Hello? So the second line she said was asking, it costs seven whoopee whoopee. And Jar Jar's like, whoopee whoopee, and spits it out. I think you still probably had to pay for a Jar Jar even though you spit it out. You know what? You think you're right. But that's not where the story ends for Gragra. That okay. That one scene, but her story continues. The Gragra saga gra continues. Gragra saga. You ready for it? Yes. Gragra regretted her harsh behavior, yelling at Jar Jar Binks. She's really, like, oh, I didn't have to do that. She realized that perhaps it had been caused by trouble at home. Oh, I, it's not really about him. It's about me. She spoke it? to her husband, Grognak, only discovered that he was an emotionally distant uh, spokes folks, as he has always been. Oh. 
He's emotionally distant. She's lashing out at Jar Jar. You know, we're just like, neither of us is who we used to be. We don't connect anymore. Like, you grow together, you grow apart, and we've grown apart. We don't talk about how much we love our religious zealotry. We don't talk <laughs> about growing our tail back. It's we don't like, talk about, like, dumping all our amniotic fluid into the sewer. The love is gone. The love is gone. After the love is gone. So this encouraged Gragra to sell enough gorgs, including the sauces she made from them, to buy her own ship. So that she could leave her husband in her life of quiet domestic oppression Good behind. Good job, she became girl! A, she became a symbol to Gorgmongers everywhere. She leave left her, her emotionally distant husband. You dump his ass and get your groove back, Gragra. Gragra eventually left most Espa to work elsewhere with their new ship, which caused the Gorg population in the sewers to grow considerably over the following years. Homeless people often fed on the Gorgs. Good! So it's like he, a public service. I didn't, you know what? Before I started looking up at my guys, like Gragra, I didn't know she did any of that. Yeah. And I was like, Ragra, girl. Girl. You got out of a bad situation, and he fed a bunch of homeless people inadvertently. Yeah, good for you. So, Gragra is one of my guys. I can see why Gragra's one of your guys. Gragra is guy-worthy. All right, let's move on to episode two. Episode two also has some major guys. Got got the crazy comedian ones with their long necks. You got, oh, yeah. You got Sleaze Bagano, who I love. Love. And all the Jedi in the arena. Kit Fisto and all those dudes. Awesome. My guy. Tops. Absolutely. But there's one guy who actually gets a pretty major role in yeah. not only the plot, but defining the world of Coruscant. And of course, I'm talking about Dexter Jetster, baby. I knew you were going to pick Dexter. I knew you were. You love that guy. So Dex- you love that diner guy. Dexter Dex Jetster was a male basilisk cook of the diverse past hailing from the deep core planet of Ojam. He owned and ran Dex's Donuts and later Dex's Diner in Coco Town on Coruscant. Due to his wide experience, he was known as a reliable informant. Obi-Wan Kenobi often turned to him when he needed some information. So, Dex is, of course, in episode two, who Obi-Wan visits at his diner to ask him where this dark came from that killed Zam Wessel. Zam Wessel. Oh, it's, probably Zam Wessel. It's, it's a Kamino and Saber dog! Yeah, his classic line. See, I remember this one. I don't remember Gragra, but I remember this one. Now, a Bessilisk is a species. Uh, just a quick thing about Bessilisks. They're a race of multi-armed sentient humanoids from the cold ocean world of Ojam. It's like a frozen planet world. Kind of cute. Yeah. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of that guy from Lilo and Stitch. Oh, yeah. Jumba. Jumba. Dr. Jumba. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Females of the species could have as many as eight arms. Why? Why? Why do females have more arms? Ladies rule. So, so they could hug all their Ooh. babies. Dex only has four, but that's pretty good. Yeah. As far as we're going to... He can only hug half but the again, number of babies. Who's counting? We are. Little is known... Okay, we are. Little is known about Dex's early life. After leaving his homeworld of Ojam, Dex had a colorful life with varied careers, including prospecting, smuggling, running guns, and even a stint as a professional boxing fighter. Sweet. Dex first met Obi-Wan when he was a young Padawan, while Dex was running a bar on the remote Outer Rim mining world of Ord Sagat, which was actually a cover for running guns. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah. Wait, he's a gun runner? He's a gun runner. That's not good. I, I kind of thought of him as more of like a light-hearted figure, like, I run a diner, hey, but... No, he's like, I but, run guns. He's out in the Outer Rim running woof, guns. That's going dark there, Dex. Little Obi-Wan met him when he was uh, when Dex was throwing some bottles outside. And- did, did, did he have like a gang um, of gun runners called like Dexy's Midnight Runners? Actually, that's the next paragraph. Whoa! Yeah, their battle cry was Tolu Raye. <laughs> Eventually, he finally made it to Coruscant, where he purchased a, a diner called Didi and Astri's Diner mm-hmm. in the Coco Town district of Coruscant. Cool. Aiming to finally own a legitimate restaurant that wasn't like a front for guns or smuggling or whatever. He wanted to sell like an actual restaurant. Luckily for Dex, the previous owners outfitted the diner with repulsor lifts for emergency getaways just in case. Okay. So if you knew this, Dexter's Diner can fly. 
Whoa! Repulsive Whoa. Repulsive he just like jettison the whole thing into space. It can fly. What about like the patrons inside? I didn't know this, but Dex's diner can fly. Whoa! Thanks to the previous patrons. Cool. Pretty cool. So Dex's diner. Let's talk about this a little bit. Yeah. Uh, many workers from the Mandy's, also known as Jawa Juice, uh, or the popular Sliders. Like they have the Bennigans? Yeah. Cool. Like little Bantha burgers or something. Small little burgers. Also served with fried nerf steak, potato wedges. Potato? It's not potatoes, potato. I'm I'm pretty anti-tato myself. I'm just kidding. I love tatoes. I'm I'm a professional tato. Hey, did you hear about that gamer on YouTube, Tato, who cheated on his his wife? Who was also like an elf. Uh, his name's Protato. This joke is not gonna age okay. well. <laughs> Nobody's gonna. I I barely remember Pro Jared now. Nobody's oh. gonna remember Pro Jared. I don't in know a who Pro Jared weeks. is. I was trying to Protato. That's fine. The food is oily and unhealthy, but also cheap and filling. Well, it's like a greasy spoon type exactly. of thing. Exactly. It's it, like, like Waffle House. It was advertised as the best eats on the Cocoa Town streets. It was rumored that Dex salted his food with addictive spice to create a craving that customers would return to I satisfy. Mean, again, like a Waffle House. Addictive spice. Remember, spice is Star Wars' drugs. So So we should put drugs on it? That's the rumor. Again, like Waffle House. His food is is so good, they gotta come back to get it. Is it like MSG? Isn't MSG supposed to be like that? I think that's one of the Star Wars spices they don't really talk about. It's not like, it's like Booster Blue, Glitter Stim, MSG. MSG, yeah. Uh, He actually has some employees, including the service droid FLO. Flo? Because that's like such a diner worker's name. And the human head waitress, whose name was Hermione Bagua. Hermione? Hermione Bagua. Cool. Yeah. Prior to the outbreak of the Clone Wars, Dex identified a Kamino Sabadot. Yes, he did. As That's a favor for Ben Kenobi. This led the Jedi Knight to discover that Kamino had been deleted from the Jedi archives, and after that went to the planet itself, where he found out that the Grand Army of the Republic had ordered from the Kamino and Cloners. The Clone Wars began soon afterwards. You can kind of indirectly blame Mr. Dex for them even getting the Clone Army in the first place. <sighs> no one's going to go there to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, he didn't need to pick it up. Like, he gets there and it's like, we have the thousands of clones you ordered. And he's like, yes, the clones, the clones that we ordered. Oh, yeah, it's cool. On my clipboard here shows that Mr. Sifo-Dyas ordered it. Who? very mysterious. Who could that be? Hmm. Anyway, I guess I'll take those thousands of clones that I definitely ordered. (laughs) I want to just remind you. How cool Dex is. He's only in, like, one scene. Maybe my favorite scene in Attack of the Clones, which is otherwise a pretty bad movie. I like how he kind of shambles around, you know. He scratches his butt while he's hugging Obi-Wan. <laughs> this yeah. big old fat guy. Let me just say, too, watch this reminds you of how dreamy Owen McGregor was. Like, right? Like... He has these piercing eyes that stare right into Dex's soul. Okay, Ryan, so, like, when I was in high school, one of the only actors I thought was, like, kind of dreamy was Ewan McGregor. Yeah. You get me, right? I get it. You get me. Watch the scenes in particular. Yeah. He's like a big, just... Look how dreamy he looks. He is. He is. And he has, like, a very, very charming smile. Are they friendly? Oh, it depends. Depends on what, Dex? On how good your He's got a mustache. He does! I've never noticed it, but Dex well, has a mustache. He's got a mustache. A mustache. Which makes me love him even more. So one thing led to another. Obi-Wan went to Kamino. The Clone War started. That's it for Dex, right? Yeah. No. Oh, no. With the rise of the Empire, 
Dexter Jester became one of the erased. These are people who are mostly aliens who had their records erased. <gasps> Why? All because thought they'd be prosecuted by, by the Empire oh, for so treason. Oh, so it was t- going to hiding. It was going to hiding. So they called themselves the erased. And Dex is one of those. The diner was destroyed when Dex went underground. It was later repaired. As Hermione Bagua ran it throughout the Galactic Civil War. As a human, she could get away with it. But he never had to launch his diner into space. No, I thought that would be part of the story. I really thought that's what was coming. So I'm a little let down that he didn't launch the diner into space. Yeah, I know. But he's still... One of my guys. One of your guys. All right. So who's your other guys? Episode three. Let's talk about a guy from episode three. Now, episode three, as far as the prequels go- Doesn't have that many guys. It's a pretty glaring lack of guys. Like, there's- It's all like the humans, basically. And Yoda, but- I mean, it hangs with the humies. You get some Wookiees in there. But it mostly wants to see Anakin's story and Palpatine's story, and that's fine. But there's just a distinct lack of there's guys. There's not that many guys. Like, Grievous could count, I guess, but he sucks bad. So, like, I mean, I want to also kind of make a break, because the last two guys I've picked have been kind of squat blobby guys. Yeah. It's kind of a pattern here. So I want to break a little bit. Let's go for a tall glass of water named Tion Medon, or as you refer to him, the corduroy face guy. Oh, the corduroy! See, you say Tion Medon, I have no idea who that is, but you say corduroy face guy. I think everybody knows corduroy face guy. The guy who slept face down on a corduroy pillow. He's this tall, gaunt, white man with a bunch of lines on his face. He talks to Obi-Wan when he goes there. Tion Medon was a male Powan and the port administrator of Pau City on Utapau. Gaunt, gray-skinned humanoid, Tion Medon wore elaborate red robes and carried an ornate staff of office. Member of the tall, thin Powan species. It's probably there's a apostrophe in there, so thin Powan. Powan, probably. It's pa- but it's like the comes after the U. How would you say that? Powan. 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 Powan species. It's an alien language. How if I know? As a tall, thin Powan, Tia Medon had an unsettling appearance to some, with glassy, sunken black eyes and a mouthful of crooked teeth. However, appearances were deceptive, as Tia Medon was an accommodating, helpful being. Yeah, he seems like a nice dude. I mean, like, he's totally being watched by the Empire or whatever, but, like, or not the Empire, Separatists. by the Separatists. And, but he totally gives, you know, like, he does Ewan McGregor a solid and tells Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Like, what's going on? Longevity came naturally to the Pa'awans, and Tia Medon had been a master of port administration for about 200 standard years by the time Obi-Wan showed up. So he's like, you know, pretty... Oh, okay, so he's like, he's experienced. He's, he's on the, uh... He yeah. knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's got, he's got, he's got tenure at this yeah. point. Tia was a descendant of Timon Medon, who is credited with unifying Utapau. Where's Pumbaa? Where's Pumbaa Medon? <laughs> is, that, is that the name of his little squawking lizard friend? Yes. Pumbaa. Pumbaa. Like all Pa'awans... Tion preferred darkness to sunlight and raw meat to cooked meat. Ew. Uh, would you really want to watch that guy eating raw meat? Uh, just snacking down on, like, some raw horse buttholes? He's got some teeth, you know? Like, ew, that's probably from eating raw meat. Now, I should rather like that. It should be noted here that Utapau as a planet had two major species that were dominant. Yeah. It had the Pa'awans and the Utai. The Utai were stocky species with long eye stalks. They willingly allowed the Pa'awan species to rule over them and served as menial laborers in the sinkhole cities and caverns of they the homeworld. They did that willingly? Why? Unlike their Pa'awan neighbors, the Utai had comparatively short lifespans, which earned them the nickname Shorts. Are they just like, you know what, we're only going to live like six months. We don't give a living crap. Let's just work for these tall guys. Like, whatever, we don't care. Do what you want. We're going to be dead soon. They're willing to do it. They're not like they're enslaved or anything. They're just like, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, that's a living. Now, also a fun note. Maybe you uh, caught this, but Utapau might sound familiar. Do you know what? Besides, you saw episode three, but we talked about it on this podcast before. Talked about Utapau? Utapau, yeah. No. It was one of the first planet names listed in the very first draft of the Star Wars. 
Oh, wow. So he brought it all the way back from that? In the original script, there was Aquile and there was Utapau. Oh my god. So he really liked that name. He remembered it like decades and decades he later. He pulled that out of the old file cabinet, dusted it off, and stuck it in the episode All right, George, that's, that's definitely, I mean, like, it's totally fine. It's, it sounds like a space name, like an alien planet. Yeah. Now, in the final weeks of the Clone Wars, Tian Medan was forced to accommodate General Grievous and his associates in his sanctuary with threat of the destruction of their community if they didn't abide. Despite General Grievous's threats, however, Tian Medan welcomed Obi-Wan Kenobi to the spaceport and discreetly divulged helpful information that came <laughs> to the separatist <laughs> presence. It wasn't that discreet. No, basically, so it remember, was not all that discreet. He's like, hey, just so you know, General Grievous is here. So yeah, he, so <laughs> Obi-Wan arrives like, I'm here looking for the General Grievous. And he's like, General Grievous is not here. I think it's real close to be like, actually, he's here. He's actually, he's totally here. He's you should right like, there. You should really get, like, get on this lizard and like, run. Yeah, get this ship away and hop on this iguana and go find him, okay? Yeah. Don't tell him I told you. It's he's really not really here! It's really As I said before, he's gone! <laughs> it's totally... Maybe it's discreet by their species standards. I don't know. Yep. But without Tian Medan, he wouldn't have found... General Grievous. Good on you, Tian Medan. And then murder him by shooting a blaster into his beating heart. Yeah, which was like, it's a cool way for him to die. I just wish he'd put up like more of a fight before it got to that point. We have Tian Medan to thank for that. Thanks, that, Tian that Medan. That glorious end to General Grievous. Thanks, question mark? Yeah. Again, I, since he's only in one scene, I pulled up the scene just so we can remind ourselves how cool he looks. Greetings, young Jedi. There's no war here. Hostage. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, I'm being held hostage. Remember those, imagine those teeth eating raw meat. If you have warrants, now is the time. Right. That was very discreet. We're being held hostage, just so you know. Just so you know. <laughs> it's not even like the whole, like, Obi-Wan's be like, blink once if you're being. No, not US. even that, because he doesn't blink. No, he doesn't. No. He, he has these glassy black eyes. So here's a fun fact. Okay. That will connect. All the things we talked about. I'll today. be the judge of whether or not it's fun. So Tian Medan, they're originally going to do him as a CGI character, but they said, "No, no, no, we can do it with makeup," which I think is a good which choice. Which is always a better choice, yeah. And they said, "Well, we need we need tall, striking actors to play this guy and all of his people," and they pulled on a little uh, New Zealand actor called Bruce Spence. Uh, oh, the mouth of Sauron guy. The mouth of Sauron himself was given another crazy mouth as Tian Medan. Well, he cannot have like non-disgusting teeth in any role, no. I guess. So. That's a fun fact that ties everything together. So, those are my guys. I realize the two of them are just Obi-Wan's friends. I kind of thought... <laughs> <that's> <laughs> yeah, just, they're all like Obi-Wan's guys. And Gragra. And Gragra. So, next time, what the frick asks... Who are your guys? Say, uh, Gragra. Gragra, Dex, and Tion Medon. Tion Medon, Corduroy Face. Yeah. Cool. Well, nice guys, Ryan. That's all I got today. All right, cool. Well, it's not all you got today because we have to do the hot, the hot, the hot, the hot, the hottest take. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. We got some hot ones for you. Again, this is our new contest. This is our contest or challenge or tournament or whatever where we are trying to find the take that is volcanic. And again, if you're old like us and maybe you're not hip with the Zoomers, a take is either like a very strong opinion or fan theory or something. It's like you're trying to like blow the lid off someone, make people be like, I never thought about it like that before. That's totally spot on. And so somebody will like repost it and just comment this. This. This is and this. And then some people will post it and be like, 
hot take and making fun of them because it usually is kind of stupid. Yes. So we are tasked with finding a hot take from Lord of the Rings and a hot take from the Star Wars every week. And you guys get to decide which is the hottest of the takes. Yes. So we're going to read each take. We have pulled this from like usually a pretty old message board or a Tumblr account or some social media posts. Right, right. So do you want to go first or shall I? Sure, I'll go first. All right, go first. All right, now this this is like uh, <laughs> this is the first episode of probably the hottest take. I wanted to go back to some of the earliest takes I could find. Yes, to start at the beginning. So I have a quick few uh, paragraphs to read you. I mean, it's not that long, but let's hear it. Is it okay? No, it's okay. Bit? Lay it on me. Strip Star Wars of its often striking images and highfalutin scientific jargon, and you get a story, characters, and dialogue of overwhelming banality without even a future cast to them. Oh, dull new world! We are treated to a galactic civil war, assorted heroes and villains, a princely maiden in distress, a splendid old man surviving from an extinct order of knights who possess a mysterious power called the Force, and is all as exciting as last year's weather reports. Why, even the most exciting fight is an old-fashioned duel, for all the swords you have laser beams for blades. Here it is all trite characterization and paltry verbiage. The one exception is Alec Guinness as the grand old man Ben Kenobi. Ben for the Hebrew Ben, to make him sound biblical and good. <laughs> Kenobi probably from cannabis. For reasons what? you can probably guess. What? Still, Star Wars will do very nicely for those lucky enough to be children or unlucky enough to have never grown up. That is from... Wow, that guy sounds like a fun dude. This is from John Simon in New York Magazine, 1977. His review of Star Wars. Just shows you that New York Magazine has always sucked balls. Yes. So sounds the like hot, a fun dude. I mean, I think the thing I want to take most from this is that Obi-Wan Kenobi's name named after cannabis. Is named after weed. So if you were going to summarize the hot take, it's that Obi-Wan Kenobi's named after weed. And therefore I can dismiss the entire affair as yes. silly nonsense for baby bullies. Unlucky enough to have never grown up. Unlike me, a sophisticated writer for New York Magazine, I mean, who's just to, a ton of fun like, to hang out with. The way he writes, oh, dull new world. Here it is, all trite characterization and paltry verbiage. I it's honestly like, want to find this guy and like pants him. So that is my hot take. Maybe the original hot take of Star Wars. All right. What do you got? Okay. So this was posted on a message board on Monday, December 4th, 2000 at 3.51 oh. a.m. So keep in mind, this is before the Peter Jackson movies had even started coming out. This is a pre-9-11 world. Yeah, this is a pre-9-11 world. Um, this is Aeol of Nan Elmoth. And um, Nan of An- Man Elmoth is going to give you uh, some information about their least favorite character. Here we go. Everyone is going to hate me for saying this, but I have always hated Sam Gamgee. <gasps> yes, that's right. I hate Sam. He is just an untrustworthy little fool. Gollum would have repented if he hadn't gone ape at him when he was patting Frodo. Oh, no. Sam didn't trust Aragorn or Faramir, and the way he treated Frodo was bordering on homosexual. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't stand the guy. Image source eye slash expression slash face icon small smile dot gif. Oh my. So basically, to sum up this hot take, Sam is too gay. He's too gay. He's too gay, and he's an untrustworthy little fool. So we're going to put these up for you guys to decide which is the hottest take. So Is it that Star Wars is for diaper babies and from weed, and Sam is an untrustworthy fool and maybe really gay? Just too gay. Yeah. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's not the fact that he's, he's gay. It's the fact that he's just, like, too gay. Oh, you didn't have to go ape on Gollum when he was patting Frodo. <laughs> Oh, these are funny takes. Yes. Okay. All right. So So you jump online, dear people, and you vote for the hottest take of this week. I'll put them up when I'm done with this episode, and you can tell us which one is the most volcanic, hot to the touch, ow, take you find between the two of them. 
And again, we'll continue just like we did with Worst Name Challenge. So you can vote on our, our Twitter or our Facebook accounts. Um, just search What's Lightsaber's Precious, I guarantee you, will be the only things that come up. You can also check us out online at www.whatslightsabersprecious.com or email us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. Yeah. We're just up on Apple Podcasts. iTunes is dead, so don't go on there. iTunes is dead? I think they're, well, they're, I'm not sure if it's dead yet, but they are killing it. They're really? Getting, they're getting rid of the whole thing. That's probably a good thing because, like, every time I open it, my computer basically crashes. Yeah, it's never been a good program. So don't open it to download our podcast, but go on there to write us. Yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more fun. See you. Bye. Bye.